hundred bar before, which gives it's magnification dominant. Yeah, it's a monitor. I use a, a one point two five or a one point five. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get your eyes checked. <laughs> I probably territory to cover this morning and a lot of scripture to cover and so we'll get going and we'll um, let's remember some people in prayer um, I'm thinking I know we need to remember John who is recovering from his hip replacement surgery and we need to lift up Lee yes he we need to pray that Lee is moved upstairs out of ICU that way he can kind of start the next phase of his recovery um, we're still praying for his vocal cords. If you re could remember that, that if as long so, I mean, y'all probably all know this, that if your vo vocal cords are damaged, you can't swallow. And so his vocal cords need to be healed so that he can take the feeding tube out and he can eat normally. So that's what we're praying for there. And Haley is back at home, right, Mike? And so she needs continued prayer for infection. And so we'll get started today. Anybody else have anything that I... Kenny Murdoch, yes, that Lord continue to touch his body. All right. Hmm. Let's pray for this. Pray for this family. Yeah, for this baby. That's sad. Yes, Connie. Yes. Oh, congratulations. Where is it your son or your daughter? Oh, uh, well, congratulations. You're entering into, you're going to have to move them out of Lubbock, right? Are they in Lubbock? Oh, they came back? Well, isn't that good? Yeah, because, uh-huh, yeah. The Lord works all things together for good. That's it. That's it. All right. We thank God for that. Yes, we need a sale of a property right now, don't we? So the right buyer will come. Anybody else? Okay, his friend. Yes, yes, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you hear and answer prayer. I pray, Lord God, for this friend who's recovering from this cancer surgery. God, that you would be with him and strengthen him through this process. Make yourself real to him. We pray, Lord God, for this family with this infant, Lord God. I pray, God, that you would touch them, that you would just heal this baby. Let, Lord God, this baby have a normal life, Lord, and full recovery. Lord, I thank you, God, for your hand of grace and mercy. Lord, we pray for Haley. We pray for John. We pray for Kenny, Lord God. You know that they need healing and that they need to be restored to full capacity, Lord. I pray for Lee, that you would touch his vocal cords and she would bring healing to him today. Lord, we thank you. We, we know, Lord God, that you help us and you sustain us and you walk with us. We give you praise and glory and honor and ask that you would open our ears to hear, hearts to receive today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we're going to have a bunch of scriptures, and I would have given you all a copy of this. Anybody who wants it, I will provide it for you after. I have several scriptures, and I wrote something this morning. I'm just going to start with reading it, and then we're going to jump right in. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 2 and 3 that let us not neglect. How shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great of a salvation? To neglect. How, as Hebrews 2 and 3, it's in here. If you want copies of this, you can look up these scriptures. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That is a, a sobering statement, is it not? So it tells us a few things. That a salvation can be neglected. And neglecting can lead to a forfeiture of escape. It is. It is. It's supposed to bring you to an obvious conclusion. And so we look there, and as we start, I just want to start by reading this to you. And I'm going to go fast, and then we're going to pick up the scriptures. 
This is something the Lord laid on my heart yesterday, and it caused, it literally caused me to shudder. And I didn't even want to teach it. I really didn't. Because I told the Lord yesterday, I said, I'll study that out a little more. But I finished the notes this morning at 8.15. I'll let you know. Guess, guess you know who won. The extension of God's mercy and grace will at some point come to an end. Let that just set in. Long-suffering by implication expresses an end of the matter. The divine nature of God is long-suffering and thankfully so. We as weak humans suffer from a mirage of frailties and challenges. God is rich in mercy and loves to extend grace to those of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He looks for someone to help, someone who will call out to him in their time of distress. God is near to the broken. He is an ever-present help in time of distress. His mercies are new every morning. The unique Son of God has come to the earth as the Son of Man. He was clothed in our frailty. He experienced the full measure of our humanity, yet without sin. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows how we feel. He does not just empathize with us as to imagine how we feel. He sympathizes with us. He knows how we feel. Such mercy, such grace, such a stooping down to lift us up. Yet there will be an end to his long-suffering. He will suffer long but not forever. We can reject his call, his pleading with us to hear, to stop, to receive his grace to help. No man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. The drawing of the Spirit is a grace indeed. When the Father reaches out his hand to us, he is saying, take hold, let go and take hold. Understand, he will not do this forever. Jesus said that, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage until the day that the rains began to fall upon the earth. The end was announced with Methuselah's very name. His name means when he dies, meaning Methuselah, then judgment. I will add, Methuselah is the oldest man in the recorded Bible. 996 years, I believe. God is long-suffering. When he dies, judgment. There is an end to God's mercy, to his long-suffering. When he dies... 996 years of age. In the year that he died, the Bible says, the rains began. 996. When he dies, judgment. Also, God said he would not always strive with man. His days would be 120 upon the earth. That marked the time of the final 120 years upon the earth. Some of you may not know that. When it says that the days of man shall be 120, God is not promising man to live 120 years. He's saying from this day until the flood will be 120 years. There is an end to God's long-suffering. I continue. From there, God set out to rescue what would be a remnant, a very small remnant, eight to be exact. Noah and his family were righteous upon the earth. Noah moved with fear and built the ark to the saving of his family. God had not left the righteous without protection. He would not make an end of man completely. Noah's righteousness was my salvation and yours too. Well, maybe not my salvation, but it was my chance at life. 
My life has been the beneficiary of God's extended hand of grace and mercy. I have been the recipient of his long, long, long suffering. Many, many times throughout my life. And he has extended it thus far. I have no desire to spurn his grace and swat away his hand of rescue extended to me. He brought me out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my goings. His grace to help is free, but it's certainly not cheap. The grace paid was the blood of Christ. His very life poured out on earth that I may be seated in heaven with him. I cannot trample the blood of Christ underfoot and treat as common that which is totally uncommon. Holy is the only word that can describe it. His blood freed me from sin and delivered me from the darkness of my own distortion. He gave me his life and buried the old man in the grave of his sacrifice. He then resurrected me with him and seated me positionally with him. Far above all principalities and powers and every ruler of darkness in heavenly places. To retain any area of my life as my own and stubbornly claim that what is his is mine and what is mine is mine is the most egregious and just unjust error I can make. To say his sacrifice is second rate and does not deserve my whole life is an error of colossal proportions. I surrender. A surrender of all is a surrender of all, not a surrender of some. I find that surrender is best done all at once and not made in installments. The installment approach leads to failure and being overtaken by the powers of darkness that I seek to be liberated from. If we find ourselves as a lover of darkness, that very darkness will take a toll on our lives bit by bit until we are left with nothing but regret and dismay. Oh, many have been saved at the brink, but what a gamble to think that that hand will be there every time I want it is fiction. It's dangerous fiction. Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts. A hardened heart brings about the hardening process. Listen to me. A hardened heart brings about the hardening process, the end of which cannot be softened. Such was the case of Pharaoh and of Judas Iscariot. It was said of Judas that he sought repentance and it was not found. Repentance is a grace. Repentance is a grace that flows from God's abundant mercy, but it is not a guarantee. Repentance is a change of direction, a change of behavior, a change of mind, and ultimately a change of nature. All of which are sourced by God's power when we reach out to Christ and confess Him as Lord of our lives, pledging our loyalty to Him as our Master and King. This is a forfeiture of all we once were and a yielding to be made into all he has designed and desired us to be. This forfeiture is a renunciation. I'm closing. This forfeiture is a renunciation of every demon power working in our life from either us directly or ancestors who have lived before us. And it is a pledge of allegiance to our Lord and Savior. It is a public announcement that we no longer have eyes for any other and will not lend our hearts to unclean desires or our bodies to giving expression to unclean spirits. This is our loyalty pledge demonstrated at baptism. The announcement that we are born again from an old world, an old environment, an old system to a new one. A new day, a new man, a new nature, a new master displayed with new allegiance. We must come to the end of ourselves to come to the beginning of Christ. To retain self is to forfeit Christ. To forfeit self is to gain Christ. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it.
His long-suffering will not remain forever. The very word long-suffering carries with it the indication of an end. It's not called forever suffering. It's called long-suffering. And this, this may be a surprise to some of you, and we will, we'll look at the scripture. You can go to Hebrews 6, and we'll start reading in verse 4 in just a second. I'm going to read out of, my, out of the Passion Translation, I think. This was, this was so real to me yesterday morning. As I have been looking at the days of Noah, Genesis 6, I'll just start there. I think that would be a good place to start. Genesis 6, 5 through 8. I just want people to, and, and I know you're here at life class. That's a good sign, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a sign that you're seeking after the things of God, for sure. But I say this message to you today because I, I assume that you know people who are flirting with the long-suffering of God. I, I assume that you have talked to the same people I have in your life journey who tell you about them being washed in the blood and on the same hand they talk to you about their drunken escapades the night before. You see a pledge of allegiance to Christ is a severing, a breaking ties with every spirit of darkness. I read that to you. It's not allowing those spirits of darkness. I mean, is it any wonder? If you go to the liquor store, what do you buy there? What else are they called? Spirits? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I, and I'm not, you know, you say, Andrew, you talk about drinking a lot. I, get, I don't plan to. But I, it's, it's among, it's among others. It's among other activities where we, we think that we can give our bodies over, be it alcohol or drugs or sex or pornography. Or it, the list just goes on and on and on, right? But it's the giving over of your body to give unclean spirits demonic spirits gratification did you not know that they don't have bodies that's why they borrow yours I mean, so you Fulfilling those desires. See, it is bringing yourself into the area of darkness. And it's, it's wrong of us to say, Lord, all that is mine is yours. No, all that is yours is mine. But all that is mine is mine. And so we look at this. And then it says in Genesis 6, 5 through 8. I mean, I've been in the Nephilim, but the Lord just like, Andrew, we've talked about the Nephilim enough. I think I've covered it. Every side, every, I'm telling you, I've been all over. I just need to bring my foil hat to wear, you know, at this point. But then yesterday, Adonai saw that the wickedness of humanity, of humankind, was great on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil all the time. So Adonai regretted that he made humankind on the earth, and his heart was deeply pained. So Adonai said, I will wipe out humankind, whom I have created from the face of the ground, from humankind to livestock, crawling things and flying creatures of the sky, because I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in Adonai's eyes. And aren't you glad he did? That was your lifeline. You got a chance at earth. You got a chance to be something other than what the generations were that God's long-suffering ended with. 
Now let's move on a little bit. Let's go to Hebrews 6 and 4. I've got it right here. I just feel like I have to prove this to you in the Word. The Word just will say it so much better than me. Hebrews 6 and 4 states this. It is impossible. We talk a lot about nothing being impossible, but there are a few things that are impossible. It's impossible for God to lie, number one. It's impossible for God to be pleased without faith, number two. And it is also impossible to restore an apostate, number three. I just read it. It is impossible to restore an apostate. For once a person has come into God's light and tasted the gifts of the heavenly realm and has been received the, and has received the Holy Spirit and feasted on the good word of God and has entered into the power of the age that is breaking in or the kingdom of God that's coming. If he abandons his faith, there is no use even trying to lead him to repentance by their sin of apostasy. They re-crucify the Son of God and have made public repudiation of him. For men's hearts are like the soil that drinks up the showers which often fall upon it. Some soil will yield crops as God's blessing upon the field. But if the field continues to produce only thorns and thistles, a curse hangs over it and it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, beloved, we are fully convinced that there are more beautiful and excellent things which flow for your salvation. For God, the faithful one, is not unfair. How can he forget the beautiful work you have done for him? He remembers the love you demonstrate as you continually serve his beloved ones for the glory of his name. But we long to see you passionately advance until the end and you come to your hope fulfilled. What is an apostate? Do any of you know? Someone who denounces the faith, who either in word or action, but knew the faith to begin with, an apostate. They knew they were in, because it says that very clearly, doesn't it? That they were there, they had tasted, they had done all this. There was a five-point checklist. So we, we, we're following. This was, it was pretty clearly laid out. Right, and so I'm not, I'm not standing here today saying, oh no, we're slipping into the sin of apostasy. If you do, you're not going to be probably sitting in life class. I don't know. No, I say that. I say that's probably wrong. That's probably entirely wrong. Because I know that the Bible, and we'll read some of these scriptures as well. I retract that entirely. Because there's two situations we can find ourselves in here today. There's a state called backsliding. Backslidden is you were once closer to God than you are now, but you're in a state of backsliding. In other words, you're sliding back into old ways. We clear on that? Do you think an apostate gets there in one step? Or does he start out perhaps as a backslider? Are there going to be any people who are terribly, terribly, terribly pious and religious that are apostates? Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know. There'll be one world religion and the whore will ride the great beast. That's, that's revelation for you. Right. So there is an apostasy that will be present the Bible describes in the last day church. An apostasy that will sit on pews. An apostasy. I mean, Judas. Not a guy you're going to find in heaven. The Bible says it wasn't granted. He sought repentance. And it was not granted him. He couldn't repent. The Holy Spirit did not offer the hand of, see, we always think the hand of grace is just always going to be there, right? You know, and I know, and I, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't like to teach things like this. I really don't because we're like grace and grace and grace and grace, and I don't want to challenge the grace of God. And I don't, I have in my life challenged the grace of God twice in my life, once with my father. I thought he's too far gone. The Lord says, you watch and see. I challenged the grace of God with another woman, and I said, she's too far gone. The Lord said, just wait and see. But see, I can't, I can't, while I'm, while I can't. I don't want to err on the side of saying that God's extension of his long suffering will just be there forever. That would be called forever suffering. 
And so we see, even with the name, can't you see the portrait of how long-suffering God is? The oldest man who ever lived had within his life, his life was a prophetic witness to us. The oldest man who ever lived, that when he dies, when he dies, judgment comes. And he was the oldest, so God is long-suffering. But there is a limit. There is. And I think it behooves us in the midst of us going and doing and running here and to and fro and, and living our lives with our own gaiety and our own frivolity and our own sense of, of, of self-destiny and performance and I'll be there if I can and I'll miss if I have to and ho-dee wo dee wo dee wo and I don't believe it that way. And the Bible says that we should rightly divide the word of truth and how terrible it is to fall into the hands of a living God. That we should... How fearful. That see, sometimes within the midst, within the midst of our couched, comfortable messages of it'll be okay, darling. It'll be okay, sweetheart. Now, now, just sit there. God's good. And he is, he is, he is. So, so good, good. But in his goodness, a part of his goodness is there is an end. If he's not good, then every child that has been molested, who has never had justice. Every saint who has been martyred, who has not had justice, every abused person who has been cast aside and their abuser has never received one ounce of punishment, but instead they look like they've prospered. If God is good, he will have to deal with that. That's what it says in Revelation. The martyrs are crying out. What are they crying out? How long? How long? Oh God, until you avenge us. The catacombs are filled with martyrs' bones that they cry out in heaven to God. How long? Until you avenge us the very I mean, there's a settling of accounts there is a settling of accounts and this world is coming to a close as we go on I know this is so encouraging guys Hebrews 10 I just, you know, I, the Lord gave it to me yesterday, and I was like, Lord, could we go with something a little more, um, you know, peppy? Could we, could we go with something a little more, you know, I don't know. It's spur is a little, is the right word, Cherry, spur. <laughs> Spurs, it's not comfortable. It should. This is what we're, we're spurring one another on. This is going to be in this. Uh, thank you for that. I think it's in this um, very scripture that, that what you just said is in here. Hebrews 10, 19. And now we, Hebrews 10, 19, if you're following along. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and without hesitation. For he has dedicated a new and living way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And since we now have a magnificent high priest who welcomes us into the house of God, we come closer to him with an open heart, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. Boy, does anything keep us at a distance from him? For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood and to remove impurity. Our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, not to allow impurity to mix with, the, with him and his, it's, it's, it's a removal, impurity. And we have been freed from an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. So now wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us, knowing that God's always, always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others. Let's spur one another on in other translations. Acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect. We don't shrink back. 
meeting to, we don't pull away. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. As some have found the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge one another, spur, urge one another on toward as we anticipate that day dawning. For if we continue to persist, listen, if we continue to persist in deliberate sin after we have known and received the truth, there is not another sacrifice for sin to be made for us. I mean, you're not going to get to go back to the law. You can't use the works of the law. You can't use something else. It's only Christ. You can't, you can't say, well, I'll do this and not that. And just I'll live with my sin and I'll cover it. I mean, that was the Catholic Church's M.O. Buying indulgences. Yeah, they would go to the priest. Like, you know, you want to plan to murder someone? You want to murder your enemy because, you know, you just need to get rid of this guy. You want to sleep with your housewife or housewife, housekeeper. I don't know. You want to do something. You want to do something wrong. You go to the priest and you pay enough money to the priest and you buy the indulgence. So through giving enough money, he can absolve you from the sin and you can carry on with the sin. That's called buying. Y'all don't know. That's buying indulgences. What a moneymaker. But guys, come on. Do we not use the blood of Jesus in much the same way? I just talked to a girl just the other day, and she said these exact words out of her mouth. I do. I get drunk every weekend, but I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I just quoted her. That's, and I just went, what is she trying to do? Go to the priest, Jesus, and buy an indulgence. forgive me and so we look here uh, and he goes on to say but this would qualify one he's talking about if anyone died under the, the law of Moses I mean the author of Hebrews here but he keeps going I read Genesis 6 now Luke 17 Genesis 6, as it was in the, it says Noah, that there was an end to the long-suffering of God. Now, Luke 17, 17, 26, and 30. I probably should read it out of another translation here, ESV. Let's do that, 26. Luke uh, 17, 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus speaking, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed on that day, let the one who is on, and it goes on. Luke 17, 26 through 30. As it was in the days of Noah. And that's what really stunned me, as it was in the days of Noah. Because I've been studying, you know, the Nephilim as it was in the days of Noah. I've been studying the earth as it was in those days and what the similarities were. And just yesterday, it's like I was looking at that scripture. You know, you're just standing in the middle of it, and you're just looking around. And I looked around, and it says, as it was in the days of Noah. And it came to my attention that in the days of Noah, there was an end. There was an end. There was an end. And the rains fell. And when the first drop fell, it never rained on earth before. Now, just let that, let that sink in just a minute. It had never rained, and there was this guy who was building a boat on dry ground. And everybody thought he was crazy. He was that holiness preacher saying, the Lord is coming back. And he's building a boat. He's so convinced 
He's so convinced that this is going to happen that he is building a boat that he says that the Lord gave him the instructions to. And he does this for 75 to 100 years. They don't know for sure. They expect 75 to 100 years it took Noah to build the ark. And all the people around, what did they do? It's going to rain. What's rain? See, in those days, a dew came up and watered the earth. The earth was different than it is now. At, after the flood, there was a recreation. There was a, there was a decreation, flood, and a recreation. And things looked different. The, the, the water cycle was clearly different after the flood. Animals and humans, <clears throat> excuse me, dwelled together differently after the flood. It says after the, Noah got the boat that the animals would be afraid of Noah. I can only assume that there was some degree that the animals were not afraid of Noah before because this became a new situation. Men did not live to be eight, nine hundred years old any longer. The earth came into a new day. And so we look at Noah here and we understand that Jesus says, when he's talking to his disciples, what's going to be the sign of your coming? It's going to be a lot like the days of Noah. And there will be an end. There will be an end. There will be a time where the Lord will say, and when I went and saw the ark, we went and saw the ark in Kentucky. And I walked to, there's a place in the ark, and there's this gigantic door. Has anybody been there? Okay, right here. There's a gigantic door. The same specifications. It's built to spec, according to the Bible. And so there's this huge door. And I don't know if you were aware. Did you feel it too, Mike, when you stood in front of that door? And you read the scripture, and the Lord closed the door. Noah couldn't. God closed the door. And it was over. And the rain began to fall. And what do you think every person who was within running distance to that boat did? Can y'all just let your mind... And what do you now, now put yourself in the boat? Yes. That's my point. We don't. See, we're in the day of choosing. But see, that's why the message is so urgent. That we think it's just always going to be there. It's just not always going to be there. And that's what I felt the Lord speaking to me yesterday. And I didn't even want to give the message because I thought, this is a real downer. You know what I'm, I mean, it's, it's like, ah, yeah, anything but this, Lord. Let's go to First Peter now. But I feel like we have to come to these realizations. And I know. What is the, can y'all tell me, what is the big problem with preaching, even if the Lord doesn't come in your lifetime or our lifetime, even if he doesn't come in our lifetime, <clears throat> even if our days are not as short as we realize, because short in the Bible and short in our mind are totally two different things, aren't they? But what if the days of the earth are not short? Yours still are. Your days are short. We all live on the edge of eternity. Our days are short. And what we do for the Lord, we need to do today. And what the, the, the alliances that we make and the allegiances that we make, and we need to take our lives and we need to pray that prayer, God, search me and try me. See if there be any offensive way in me. We are so worried about offending one another. 
the scripture's not as worried about us offending one another as we are offending God. God, is there anything in my life that offends you? Are there any attitudes that are offensive to you? Now, see right here, this is where I feel it. Right here in the church for years, you've been taught. Yeah, if it is, then the grace of God just covers it. Go ahead and buy your indulgences. They will do you as much good as they do the ones who bought them from the Catholic priests. Do you see what I'm saying? Wanting to indulge in your behavior because it's your behavior and you like it. There are things we do because we like it. Right? And it does not mean that we can then take God's grace and go, Oh, will you mind fixing that? Because I'm going to continue to do it because I like it. When he graces the power for you to be delivered from it. It's abusing grace. It's offending the spirit of grace. And so we look. We look here. 1 Peter 3, 18. To keep up the encouraging word. For Messiah once suffered for our sins also, the righteous for the unrighteous. In order to bring you to God, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Through the spirit, he went also and preached to the spirits in prison. Long ago, they disobeyed God and kept waiting patiently in the day when he, when God kept waiting patiently in the days of Noah, as the ark was being built in that ark, a few, that is eight souls were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that immersion or baptism, he's likening the flood to a ba- Moses or Noah's baptism. You get that? Yes. Corresponding to that immersion or that flood slash AKA immersion or baptism now brings you to safety. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but a pledge to God of a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua, he has gone into heaven and as is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subjected to him. Now, what happened there? I'm glad you asked. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he borrowed Mary's body to gain his legal passport onto the earth and that he became the son of the son of God he's always the uniquely he's always God of God always the son of God he then put on legal rights with a human body and he entered this earth with his body legally he is now what he calls himself his favorite title the son of man and so now He becomes sin for the world, taking all the sin of the world on himself. The wages of sin is what? When he took the sin of the world on himself, past, present, and future, he became the sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. What was the penalty of that sin? That gave him his second passport into the grave. The penalty of sin. And the Bible says he preached to the spirits that were in the earth. Now, you can study this and however you want to. I've spent a lot of time here. The, the spirits he preached to, it refers to Noah and the eight souls. Different word. He refers to spree- preaching to spirits. The spirits he preached to were not human spirits. They were not humans. A lot of people say, oh, they were the people who were before the flood and he preached. Not, I don't believe that is true looking at the totality of the word of God and the use of the grammar. He preached to the spirits who were in prison. What spirits were in prison? The ones who had sinned in Genesis 1, 1 through 6. 
And the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Sons of God are angels. Watchers, to be exact. Watchers in the book of Daniel is the place. They created some sort, they did some sort of something or another. Let's just leave it there. It was not good. And through that, the whole corruption of the earth was the aftermath. God chained up those offending angels under the earth. And we're going to go to another scripture. Let's just run over there real quick. Jude, is this interesting? Now it's getting more interesting to you all, right? I'm going to run to Jude real quick. I'll give you all these notes. Jude 4 and 7. Listen to this. For certain people, mm, yeah, for certain people who have secretly slipped in, those who from long ago have been marked out for this judgment, they are ungodly people. Now, these are false teachers Jude is talking about. False teachers. Apostates. False teachers. Where are they at? Where are false teachers at? In the church. That's, that's where they're at. They are false teachers who pervert. What do they do? What do false teachers teach? They pervert the grace of our God into indecency and deny only our master and Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they say it's okay to sin. They pervert the grace of God. They use grace as a license to sin. Now I wish to remind you, though you have come to know all things, that the Lord, once having saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He saved them, and then they didn't believe, and then he destroyed them. And the angels who did not, y'all listening? The angels who did not keep their proper place. He has kept in everlasting shackles under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. In the same way as these these angels, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after a different sort of flesh, men with men. These angels, what did the men of the city want to do with Sodom and Gomorrah? Do y'all remember? The, the, yes, the men of the city gathered around Lot's door because they saw the angels come into town. And they were staying at Lot's house. And they knocked on the door and they said, bring out your visitors. We want to have sex with them. That's just a Bible. Are displayed as an example, suffering the punishment of eternity. So it goes on and it goes on. And so... Let's look again. Jude 16 through 19. 16, 19. These are, and he talks about the people who are the apostates. They are bellyaching grumblers following after their own desires. Their mouth speaks grandiose things, showing favoritism for the sake of gain. But you, loved ones, ought to remember the words previously proclaimed by the emissaries of our Lord Yeshua, how they kept telling you, in the last times there will be scoffers following after their own ungodly desires. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minding, not having the Spirit. Okay, so when Moses, not Moses, Noah went, when Jesus, like, Sorry, when Jesus died on the cross, it says in Peter that he went and he preached to the spirits who Jude said were in prison. What did he preach to them? Was he trying to get the angels saved? He was proclaiming to them, you are still bound. See, if you have some context from the Jewish literature from the book of Enoch, you know that Enoch, in the book of Enoch, just Jewish literature, went and preached to the ones in prison as well. To the Jewish mind, they understand what's going on here. We've lost it because we don't have the total total package story. And so we see here what Jesus is doing is he, through his death, burial, and resurrection, is affirming the total and complete destruction of every offending spirit. And he is establishing himself as he raises from the grave. As, and he takes, who does he take with him? 
humanity. I co-crucified with him. And what else did I co-do? I co-resurrected. And I co-I am seated positionally in Christ now. Far above all principality and power and every ruling ruler of wickedness. Now, there is that complete and total line drawn. It's like a line has been drawn in the sand. And Jesus has now said, okay, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because all of the spiritual territory is open to the church. Before, it was just held in Israel. And the very few who would come in into Judaism. Now it's out to everyone. This is not about personal destiny. This is about winning the world for the cause of Christ. And so he preached to them. And whenever you are saved, now we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to get there. Now we're going to go to 2 Peter 3. Uh, 2 Peter 2. Let's go there. And beginning in verse 2. I know this may be a lot of scriptures. Probably it might be too much, but it's, to me, it's just, just enough. 2 Peter 2 and 2. Many will follow their immoral ways, and as a result, the way of the truth will be maligned. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For God did not spare angels who when they sinned, but threw them into Sheol, or hell. He put them in chains of gloomy darkness to be held until the judgment. He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a proclaimer of righteousness. So we, we see that again. And now we go to, turn the page, Second Peter 3. 3 and 3. 1, 2, 3. First of all, understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own desires. You get a lot of people following desires. Y'all picking that up? A lot of people following their own desires. It's as if their desires are in line with the desires of darkness. And they're trying to take their desires of what they want to do and how they want to do it. And they want to somehow conform it into Christ and use grace to cover it. That's, that's what that just... So following their own desires, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on just as it has from the beginning of creation. As it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, giving in marriage, and marriage people are going to be saying this. For in holding to this idea, it escapes their notice that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the world, word of God. Though Through these, the world that in that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly people. Man. So, we begin to look and see. We already read that whenever you, through baptism, he said, the baptism of Noah's flood, he parallels it to the baptism, your baptism. How many of you have been baptized in water? Raise your hand. Okay. This is something, it's an ordinance of the church. Baptism and Holy Communion are the two ordinances of the church. Now, baptism, I'm afraid, has just sort of fallen into a standardized religious performance. You know what I mean? In this day and in all Eastern countries, baptism is much, much more. Baptism, when a person was baptized... They would come into the baptistry tank to be, or wherever. We, ours a tank, a river, whatever, the body of water. And they would renounce Satan and the kingdom of darkness and any affiliation with the kingdom of darkness. And they said, and they would hold to God. And they, it was a public, we've been asked before to do private baptisms. That's an oxymoron. It is a public declaration, not only to the world and to the body of Christ. It is a public declaration to the kingdom of darkness. It is baptism, according to Peter, is your greatest act of spiritual warfare. 
You didn't have to bind or loose anything. All you did was step into those waters. And you said, I conform to his death. The old Andrea's down there, and she won't get back up. And I will resurrect a brand new, Christ-serving, loyal, I loyally pledge my allegiance to Christ, his kingdom, and his cause. And every spirit of darkness, beware, because now my affiliation with him has caused me the greatest triumph. I will give you hell. That is what happened you were supposed to when you were baptized. And many people step out of the baptismal tank thinking that then they've got their card punched and they have no expiration date on this license and they can carry on and be whoever they want to be. That is not the case. It is not the case. I have led you through many, I hope, I think probably sobering scriptures. And my, my heart today is not to scare the hell out of you. My hope is to scare the heaven into you. Is <laughs> no. to convince the heaven into you. I do not want to preach a message or leave anything on the table that says that you can behave and do whatever. And just, because here's the problem. Here's the thing, guys. There is such a power given to us for righteousness. The Bible says, Peter says, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed <clears throat> of the gospel of Christ. For in it is the power of God unto salvation. What does that mean? I'm just going to put it like this. Huh? <clears throat> There's dunamis power. Yes. Here's how it goes. To be ashamed in that case. To be ashamed in that case <clears throat> would be if you are a parent who does Santa Claus. I don't have any... I don't have anything to say on it. It doesn't matter to me. I could care less either way. But if you choose to do Santa Claus, if you choose to tell your kids that Santa Claus is going to come and he is going to deliver presents on Christmas morning and they're going to get up and they're going to run down there and they're going to open presents. I hope I'm not messing this up for anybody. And you as a parent, in order to not be ashamed of what you've told your children, what must happen Does he really? What do you have to do? Tell me. How many of you parents have, in the name of Santa Claus, stayed up till 3 in the morning putting together bicycles and wrapping presents and putting them up, and you have, you have carried the ruse all the way out. Maybe you put out reindeer tracks, and you've left cookies for Santa. And if you did not bite that cookie or drink any of that milk, would it be done? Right? So what you had to do, you had to empower it. It took your power to make it real. If you did not use your power to wrap, to buy, to purchase, to put the cookies out, to do all the things you chose to do, if you did not do that, <clears throat> when your kids woke up in the morning, you would be ashamed. Right? Paul, now I think this scripture is going to come into light for you. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For in it is the power of God unto salvation. What he's saying is, I don't have to perform this, nor do you. When you get the gospel, the gospel gets you. And the whole performance of it comes forth in your life as a new creation. I fear many in the house of God who have repeated a prayer have never experienced a new creation. Their old things were never passed away. New things never became. 
they incorporated a little religiosity, a little religion. They probably stood in a baptismal tank. They probably take communion every time. They just incorporated some other stuff in with it, but they never actually denied their life. They never actually denounced their life and came forth unto the new life powered by the Spirit of God. Yes, Becky. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. Always. Yes. Right. All the... Yes. Right. Right. Look what I did. <clears throat> exactly. Perfect illustration. You are bringing it back. Right. And I appreciate, I appreciate that testimony so much because therein, therein is the perfect, perfect spot on example of the areas of our life that maybe we could call them are in a backsliding mode, that they are in a place that the Lordship is not present, but instead of coming up with a theology that allows them. Yes, a theology that allows them. The Lord, <clears throat> His long-suffering extended to you in the term you used. It became as ash in your mouth and you became brokenhearted. He extended to you yet again the 
long-suffering hand of God, he offered to you repentance. Yes. It, it's a, it doesn't work. It, it wouldn't work, would it? Mm-hmm. And he... And you have just described salvation and the three components of salvation. Surrender, obedience, and then it flows unto service to the Lord. And it may be. Yes. Right. Yes. And that is lordship. Yes. Yes. And those are, that is, see, we find ourselves there. We find ourselves there to where the danger that I am trying to alert us to today is to coming and trying to bring into the message of the gospel a a license for sin that is just not true. And the reason, it's not because I want to be mean. You know, it's not because I want to make people feel bad. It's not. It's because I don't want to see you go down that road of destruction one more time. It's because I want you to fully embrace the grace of God and his lordship and you to be brought before him and resurrected with the power of performance working inside of you because of his spirit working in you and through you and surrender to that paradigm, not some religious performance that keeps you in bondage and ultimately delivers you to apostasy. There's a ditch on both sides. And so here, I thank you for that, Becky. I thank you for that. <clears throat> yes. Oh, thank you. That's right. That's right. The word is your banner. That's right. And you are new. That's right. And that is what faith brings into your life. That 